0: An ice fishing hut somewhere on Lake Erie. It's Two Middle Aged Men in Cleveland featuring Eric Haddad from Shane Rock, a nonprofit supporting families fighting pediatric cancer. And now, two of your favorite ice cream flavors, Ted Klopp and Ken Dorsnik.
1: Warm weather is upon us, but it doesn't make any difference. What the weather is, you get episode forty five of two middle aged men in Cleveland. Ken Dwarfs, and Ted Klopp and Ted. Unfortunately, we have to report some more news. We were informed obviously last week and many people know this. The passing of Michael Stanley. hmm. Very sad. Very great advocate of Cleveland put out some great music. Did you ever have the chance to talk to him in any of your interviews with WTM or anything like that? I I
2: did not, but on reputation alone, great guy, humble guy, and just uh, the guy next door. You wouldn't think that he was a rock star. You wouldn't think he was a celebrity of any kind from what I understand. So he epitomized Cleveland
1: in so many ways. He really did, and... Obviously, later in life, still performed with, with the Michael Stanley Band, but also got to hear him quite often at 98.5 WNCX. Had that outstanding voice. I mean, obviously a great singer, but just had that radio voice that you don't hear very often, and he certainly will be missed. Uh, such a, certainly a sad day. Prayers to his family, and, and uh, certainly uh, it's going to be tough with him not around, but uh, what a what a great great advocate for Cleveland, and uh, just another uh, sad day for us Clevelanders here.
2: But well, thanks Ted, for bringing have,
1: the show down, Ken. Way to go. Well, I, I certainly try my best. <laughs> I know I do. I bring it down just being on. That's first and foremost. Yeah. But but I have a question for you as well. Yes. Yeah. So things are starting to turn around when it comes to the pandemic. Obviously, less and less people are, are certainly going to be exposed because of the vaccine. But the question I have for you, OK, I know many people are getting the vaccine. I know many people are certainly trying to stay safe. You and I are trying to do that. Understanding that people are still going to wear their masks, which obviously I do the same when I go into grocery stores or restaurants or anything like that. Can you answer this question for me when I'm driving on the road to go to different areas? I see more and more people driving in the car with no one else in the car with their mask on. Yeah, I. have is there information it. out there that we can get the coronavirus through the car if we're, if we're in there or I mean, <laughs> not I, that just, I know of.
2: I don't know if it's just people you know it's a short commute and they don't want to bother to take it on and off. I, I don't know. I, I don't feel the need to wear the mask in the car, whether I'm alone or with people because the only people that are in my car are the people that I live with. so sure, absolutely. Uh, Same Um, with
1: myself. I just think it's a safety hazard when you have that on. Now, obviously, if you have to wear it on for some medical reason, I completely understand that. But if as many people as I've seen driving around with this on, I unfortunately, I just think it's a distraction when you're driving in the car. I, I can't argue with you. I got I
2: got another story about masks. I stopped to get gas, had to go in to get my receipt. So obviously, when you go in, you wear a mask. The woman in front of me, was double-masked. We've heard about, you know, double-masking might help some more. Some people choosing to do that. Whatever, that's fine. So she's double-masked in front of me. She gets to the front of the line and she orders a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> you, you want to explain that to me? Is there something I'm missing here? No, I, just, I don't. Know. I don't understand. That's like, yeah. that's like the folks that battle weight problems And they order, you know, five hamburgers and a Diet Coke.
1: Right. Come on. Yeah, I I don't know. I I just once again, I I think a lot of people are, you know, certainly doing the things that they have to do. But I I just think sometimes with some of this stuff, you just shake your head and that's the best thing you could do. You don't say anything. You're like, okay, whatever you want to do. But boy, oh, boy, you you bring up a lot of questions and not (laughs) many answers when you do stuff like that. That's for sure.
2: Well, speaking of things that make me shake my head, so we talked a couple weeks ago about Erica having the uh, fender bender. Oh, that's right. She's okay, and the car's in the shop. So I don't know if you've experienced this, probably most people have, but when you're in a fender bender that's reported to the police, there are law firms that get those accident reports and try to contact you. Two weeks down here, we're in easily double digits, easily double digits number of lawyers that have contacted. Some have tried by phone. My favorite is the law firm that sent a handbook and a DVD, a handbook and a DVD. I don't know what you need those items for, but it's just interesting to see the techniques of the marketing in such a situation.
1: Once again, people, you know, during this time now, and a lot of things have been talked about. I mean, obviously you've talked about with your situation with, with uh, obviously with Erica and a car accident, but the other thing to take note as well, and I've heard this from many people, lawyers are getting ready for lawsuits from here to Timbuktu involving the coronavirus in workplaces, and many other situations and obviously that's that's something that i think a lot of us kind of knew was going to happen but supposedly this is happening soon so stay tuned for that ladies and gentlemen that'll be fun
2: well as the rules relax if covid continues to spread who do you, you know who do you hold responsible is it the governor of whatever the state is that removed the mandate or mm-hmm. is it the employer that followed the rules. Who knows? It'll be interesting to see. But coming up on our show this week, we're going to talk to Shane Rock, founder, co-founder and CEO, Eric Haddad. He's going to talk about his great foundation and its support of families for children who are fighting pediatric cancer. Two women are learning more about their relationship. It's an interesting story, and we will explain it in our Good News segment. We will learn about an annual happening in Hinkley in this week in Cleveland history. A pastor has some unique thoughts on wives in our misspeak of the week. Scott Sable from Fox 8 is here to play forecast roulette. And a woman discovers her boyfriend used her old engagement ring to propose to another woman. Oh, boy. Details on that and other interesting stories coming your way.
3: Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one for a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything... You need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started.
4: Blah, 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 blah,
3: blah, 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 blah.
1: Today's guest is one of the top 50 high school players in Cleveland in the last 50 years. He was inducted in the St. Ignatius Hall of Fame in 2005. He played fullback at Purdue from 1995 to 1998. His teammates included Drew Brees, Isaac Jones, and Mike Allstock. Our guest is an investment executive today, but he and his wife, Amy, are giving people in the Cleveland community. Our guest is on the Board of Regents at St. Ignatius High School, involved with St. Baldrick's Foundation, and created the Shane Rock Foundation. Amy and our guest created Shane Rock in 2016, to help support families and other nonprofits who battle pediatric cancer every day. Let's talk with Eric Haddad. Eric, how are you, sir? Great to Uh, talk to you.
4: I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me and and, and letting me spread the word about our foundation.
1: Please talk about Shane Rock Foundation and how everything got started in 2016
4: in 2010, my son was diagnosed with brain cancer. And obviously it was a very challenging time for our family and trying to understand what that meant and how we deal with it as a family was was incredibly difficult. Thank God that we fought through it. He's been a champ. Shane is uh, still with us today and and rocking and rolling after three major brain surgeries and all that. But in 2016, during all of this, and in, in, in particular, when we were in the hospital through all of the treatments and you know, we saw so many families and so many other individuals that came in for treatments that just didn't either have the family support. Maybe it was single mothers that were coming in for treatments with their child or sending grandparents in with the child. We just were taken aback because we tried to make every, every treatment side by side, Amy and I. And so, you know, we saw that there were so many other families out there that were, were not only, you know, struggling with, with their, their child having pediatric cancer but they also weren't as blessed as us to be in a position to where both parents could be there or, you know, take off of work and things like that. And and so when we started kind of like thinking it through, it was like, my gosh, you know, if we could ever help, who knows this situation better than us? I mean, we've sat in the shoes, we've, we've dealt with it for so many years now. Why don't we do this? And, and, you know, we were approached by several people saying, Hey, you know, we'd love to give to the the Haddad family and we'd, we'd love you guys to have it for Shane. And, in, in in 2016, we just said, you know what, this this is the time, you know, it was an opportunity to do the Shane Rock run at Ignatius. And I said, okay, well, we, we have to start the wheel spinning. We got to start the foundation now and start giving back. And so we started in 2016. We've done fantastic job in the, in recent years and, you know, really getting some momentum with, with how many families we're helping. So what are the different types of support that the Shane Rock Foundation offers? So we've done a great job of patching in with, with, Akron Children's, University Hospitals, and Cleveland Clinic. My wife, Amy, has done a fantastic job. She has patched into all the social workers at those hospitals. When those social workers find opportunity with families in need, they will then send our application to them. Now, obviously with COVID, it's, it's been more electronic versions than anything else as opposed to handing off, but those social workers then put them in touch with us. We review the application as a board. And one of the things we're most proud of is that as we review this as a board, we can turn around and get the checks out in less than a week. And Ted, t- to your point, typically it is, oh my gosh, you know, I've had to take off work. And typically it's it's financial matters more closely related. We're cutting checks, we're giving you know either rent or subsidized costs for spring for, for uh-huh. costs, or 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 sometimes you know, we've even done we've even done one, we had a request. Actually, it's amazing how nonprofits are so Fantastic in, in, in our town. Um, we actually collaborated with two other nonprofits and, and did a, a van modification for a family a few years back. So, you know, like a $15,000 van modification. So those things wow. come come up and, you know, we want to be there to, to help support.
1: Eric, I've seen the Shane Rock Foundation name all over the place. You talk about some of the other ways that Shane Rock has raised money throughout the years. It's unbelievable what you guys have done.
4: We've been very blessed. Our community, as as you both know, is is fantastic and and obviously you know philanthropic in so many ways. What we've found, obviously, these big events have been fantastic. Uh, you know, the race raised a, a ton of money. You know, we've had little events. We had a Browns watch party before they were. Before they were good, I think I can say that now uh, you know, um, and we did that last year, and it was we sold out at Brown Stadium, which was kind of a let's see how this goes and, and raise a little bit of money in the process but I, i'll be honest, I mean, we have a lot of private donors, and then all these smaller events, so like you know when we get events like cycling day at a, at a workout studio or things like that, you raise two thousand dollars, you create awareness with a group that never heard of you, you know it, you raise three thousand, you raise four thousand so Those little events really add up. And I think it also makes sense too, to share with you, you know, we, for the first couple of years, our average gift was a thousand dollars a family that has been going up consistently. You know, at the end of the day, I think you can look at when you sit there and say, gosh, you know, a thousand dollars, how far does that get a family? If it's one month rent, if it's, you know, medical costs, medical bills, I mean, it really doesn't go that far. So we've moved that average up, you know, we're giving out a lot more this year than we even did last
2: the goal is obviously to help, but philanthropically, what kind of growth have you seen over the years? You mentioned that it's gone up. It was uh, 2020 a little off, or did you see people
4: continue to find ways to help? Well, it's a great question, Ted. In a year when we didn't have our run, which was our, our big fundraiser, you know, we did have a virtual run. And that virtual run, you know, clearly, as I like to tell people, we're the, we're the type of organization that you know, wants to get everybody in the Ignatius Mall, make sure everybody eats, you know, drinks, their protein drinks, hugs, kisses, and then goes on a run and then does all that after the race. So for us not to have a physical event where people are there and seeing each other and it, it just, it's, it's tougher. And, and I think that's, you know, that's some of the things that we've kind of realized in, in 2020. We've still been pretty proactive. I think it's tough, you know, whenever you're making the ask in a time where, It's, it's, everybody's having their own struggles. I think we were a little more passive and maybe are asking. We weren't, we weren't as aggressive as in years past saying, Hey, we're having a fundraiser. We we didn't have a lot of those little events at the cycle shops and the, you know, hair salons and things like that. So that did hurt us a little bit. I mean, I think all nonprofits were hurt by that. But, you know, we're, we've been pretty consistent with getting the word out there about events. Obviously, we're gearing up this year to, to hopefully to have, have a run that's uh, physically attended and what have you. But, but yeah, the, the, the fundraising side was a little more difficult. Like I said, we do have some great private fundraisers or private individuals that are, that are donating to us on a consistent basis that's really kind of kept us afloat.
1: Eric, switching gears on you a little bit, 2013, named one of the top 50 high school players in the last 50 years of Cleveland. That's a pretty good honor. Yeah. Talk about a little bit about your high school experience, maybe one of the games that you remember or one of the most memorable experiences you had playing for St. Ignatius.
4: Oh, there were so many, Ken, and and we experienced them side by side. And I, there's so many great memories. Um, You know, I'd have to sit back and say, I mean, the experience at Ignatius in, in kind of in the, in the late eighties to early nineties. I mean, you know, there were, there were teams before us that really kind of paved the way, you know, the, you know, Fitzpatrick's and, I mean, you know, you know, the Pickens and you know the Ruddies and all those guys that those were all fantastic. I think that planted the seed firmly with a bunch of us seventh and eighth graders back in 88 and 89. And, and, and that was the, that for me, that was the turning point really opening my eyes to, wow, if, if I get there, can we do this? And, and so I think, I think if you had to sit here and say, gosh, are there games that I, I remember that stand out? I mean, clearly at the last game we ever played, you know, Ken was just, just fantastic. In, in and yeah. being on that field and walking off as, as, as state champs, but I, but I gotta, I gotta tell you, I mean, I, my, my biggest, and, and probably my um, the, the stat I'm most proud of is the fact that our, our class never lost a game. And, and to me, you know, coming back, coaching, coming back and, and, and seeing the ebb and the flow, how the, how the seasons kind of play out to me, there was so much of that where you just sat, sat back and said, Oh my gosh, like that is a pretty, that's a pretty tough stat to attain. You know, as a class, we never lost a football game. And, and, and that's probably my proudest. I mean, there's, there's other great stats and things like that, but that, that by far is is one that I like to hang my hat on.
2: Wow. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, so you go to Purdue
4: mm-hmm.
2: and some guy named breeze
4: yep.
2: is the quarterback and, uh, Mike Allstott, I think was, was before you, is that That's right? right?
4: That's right. And,
2: uh, do you stay in touch with any of the the people that we might know that have gone on to success in the NFL? And if so, what's that like?
4: Yeah, sure. So that great, great point. You know, it, it when, when I first got there the year before I got there, they were one in 10. Um, our first two seasons we were four six and one ish uh you know I, I really weren't doing all that well the coaching change kind of came in, in in my junior year with tiller and then you know kind of landing gear was up and everything else is is history from there but you know coming in you know coming into purdue it was you know, I was kind of fit in the mold of of Mike Allstott. He was a fullback that actually got to touch the ball, which which was uh, was something that I I found very near and dear to my heart. As I uh, went to college, I, I didn't see myself as being this massive blocking fullback. I saw myself being more the the guy that was the fullback that actually got to touch the ball from time to time. So, um, Mike's great guy, tremendous college and pro career. I don't keep in touch as much. We're we're on a text string with a bunch of uh, what we call, uh, older, older, uh, vets of, uh, of, Purdue. Um, and so we, we, it, and it's funny too, because those, that, that crew never got to go to most of those, that crew never got to go to a bowl game. And so I, I was, I was fortunate enough to learn from the, from the veterans that were older than me and Mike was about two years older than me with his crew. Um, and then to actually see the transformation when Tiller came in, um, you know, he, I mean, to kind of put it in perspective, you know, we went nine and three, his first season at Purdue. Now that was basketball on grass. Drew Brees didn't really play that much. He was a true freshman, but they recruited, I want to say some nine kids. Wow. The, re- the rest of the team was the, was the personnel that he had when he got there. And so it really was eye opening to me to go, wow, did you really just flip this thing with, with 95% of the kids that you had to, to begin with. And it's just an attitude and a culture thing. And, and Tiller did just, just a fantastic job, his staff. Um, but yes, I do keep in tr- you know, t- touch with um, Breeze from time to time, but it's, it's few and far between. He's a busy guy and, and I, I can't speak more to a, to a guy's character than, uh, than that guy. He's just a, uh, he's just a phenomenal person, even, even better person than he has football player.
1: Well, Eric, thanks for the time. Can you join us for a game time segment?
4: Yeah, I'd love to. That'd be fantastic. Ted, here's some good
5: news.
1: Co-workers at a restaurant became close friends nine years ago, bonding over both having Dominican Republic tattoos and both being adopted. Uh-huh. The two thought that they might be related, but poor paperwork on one of their adoptions clouded the question. A okay. DNA test, listen to this, a DNA test last month proved that Cassandra Madison and Julia Tinetti are in fact sisters. Oh. The women have since found out that they have seven other siblings who were raised by their birth parents. Wow. How about that?
2: <laughs> what are that's- the odds that you wind up as a coworker of someone a long lost sister? That's that's amazing. That's
1: unbelievable. unbelievable i don't know how i mean that's there's better chances of the winning the lottery of that happening well once they got that dna test they should have gone and bought a ticket yeah no kidding Ted. that's
0: some good news forecast roulette with the official 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 the official meteorologist of two middle-aged men in cleveland Fox 8's Scott Sable.
2: Spin the wheel and make the deal. Let's welcome back the official meteorologist for his first appearance of 2021. Fox 8's Scott Sable, how is the new year now that we're almost a full quarter of it through and we're just now talking to you?
6: Well, you know, the the new year would be better if I got those business cards you guys said you would mail to me, but then again Uh with the mail service... Yeah, It might be like the Christmas card that I just got last week from my aunt. So right. they're, they're in the I'm main. probably just going to put it under that heading that it's on the way.
1: Sure. Sure, yeah. we'll go with that. All right. Could Good. be yeah. in Texas. It might be in the wrong state, Scott. Yeah, that's, that's a possibility. True. So.
6: That's right. So All right. Look, the, business, the, the the Christmas card, by the way, it took three months for it to go three miles. So <laughs> I'm not joking. We had a... I mean, nothing against the pollster service, but it was just one of those things. It's like, really? It's three miles down the road, but oh, well, it is what it is.
2: They took the scenic route. Yeah, that's all right. All right, so we got forecast roulette. We're going to spin the wheel and get a forecast. So, uh, Ken, you want to spin it first? Sure, absolutely. All right, here we go. Ready? Here we go. Okay. All right, there it goes. It's slowing down, and... I don't think I've ever been to this place, Bardstown, Kentucky. Scott, do you know anything about Bardstown, Kentucky?
6: Well, I do know a little bit about Eastern Kentucky cause I used to work down there, but I'm assuming Bardstown, Kentucky. If I remember a map, it's probably somewhere in like bourbon country. I'm, I'm visualizing like a, you know, going on the bourbon trail and sampling adult beverages. Am I on the right track here?
1: I think so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If I'm not mistaken, Scott, if as you bring that up, I believe Elijah Craig, which is a very good bourbon. I'm not sure. sure if you've had that before. I believe that is where they're stationed and they're one of the first ones that have come up with the idea of bourbon, if I'm not no mistaken.
6: Kidding. Yeah. Wow, that is a very good bourbon.
1: <laughs> so, bourbon-wise, I guess I'll start with Ted. Ted, have you do you have bourbon? Have you had bourbon before? That's I have had, a, had new a bourbon great big thing now. I have had bourbon before.
2: I know it's a big thing. I have not found it to be to my liking, but maybe that'll come with time. I don't know, but uh, not a big bourbon drinker. How about you?
1: I've had quite a bit, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm obviously not right now, oh, but right. Uh, yeah. I love it. It really is. I've kind of gotten on into it for the past couple of months, gotten some different bottles and all that stuff. Uh, but I must say we could talk about this in a little bit. It is difficult to pick up specific bottles during this time, like in the last six months, certain types of bottles that you thought you can get, you can't get now. Scott, I know you're a bourbon guy. Have, have you experienced the same thing?
6: You know, it's funny because I think we were talking last year and you had mentioned Buffalo trace, you know, just the general bottle of Buffalo trace bourbon was one of your favorites. If I remember a conversation we had maybe more than a year ago, and I'm thinking, all right, well, I want to go out and get it because I'm more of a single malt scotch guy. Yeah. So I'm looking around and I'm like, well, it's probably relatively inexpensive. There's none here. And I just found a bottle like two weeks ago and it took me a year to find it. So either, like you said, either they're not around or people gobble them up real quick before you have a chance to get them.
1: A lot of consumption is going on. I know throughout the area, I know the popular ones are like Buffalo Trace and a lot of the different liquor stores, obviously from the area you're in and then Cleveland. They run out of Blanton's real quick. There's yeah. only a certain amount that are brought in. And so there's, it's almost like a lottery with a lot of these places. You have to ask because they won't even make the shelf. People keep them behind the counter and right. you have to ask for them in order to get them. It's crazy. It's almost like oh, a speakeasy yeah. situation. It's nuts. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's ridiculous. I'm noting here, I, I looked up Bardstown, Kentucky, home to several distilleries, including Jim Beam, Heaven Hill, Barton, seventeen ninety-two, Lux Road Distillers and Makers Mark. So, quite the roster of distilleries in Bartstown. So quick
6: story about Makers Mark. <laughs> no, it's not that kind of story, but
5: uh,
6: <laughs> I knew what, you were th- knew what you were thinking. So, real quick, so go back in back in college, um, our senior year here. Uh, all shared, you know, every Friday we would have a drink of Maker's Mark to celebrate the end of college and cheers, all that sort of thing. Well, at the end of the year, obviously through a bunch of us, the bottle was gone. We're like, well, we got to do something with this bottle. So I went to Parks College at St. Louis University and we buried the bottle. We decided to go ahead and bury the bottle. And then we would go ahead and, you know, dig it up five years later when we all have jobs and we're all making a lot of money. Well, five years later, a lot of that didn't work out, but five yeah. years elapsed. <laughs> and then we uh we kind of dug it up and we had a little time capsule in it and um we ended up bearing another one uh to open uh 20 years after that so that uh that's coming up here so the question now is i hope somebody gps that back in the, back in the <laughs> 90s or else uh, that's going to be a time capsule for somebody in like twenty five fifty two or something
2: yeah well do we have a uh do we have a forecast oh for yeah
6: Bardstown, Kentucky, now, since they're in the Ohio Valley, and we're kind of part of the Ohio Valley, we're going to start to warm things up. Now, it's going to take a couple of days, but Bardstown, Kentucky will generally stay in the probably upper 40s, lower 50s through this weekend, and then next week, I think Bardstown, Kentucky, there's a good bet they could have a couple of days in the 70s hmm. uh, as we head into the middle of March, so um, a little bit of warmth and probably some humidity and, and more than likely some rain around the, the eyes of March.
2: Awesome. Well, we learned about distilleries and we learned about forecasts here for Bardstown, Kentucky. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Scott. No problem.
0: Forecast Roulette with the official, 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 the official meteorologist of two middle-aged men in Cleveland, Fox 8's Scott Sable.
5: Cleveland! This is for you!
2: Time for this week in Cleveland history. We go to March 15, 1957. I think I was in the third grade, Ken. Over
3: <laughs> 9,000
2: right. visitors gather at the Buzzard Roost in Hinkley Reservation, Hinkley, Ohio. Just a stone's throw south of the Cleveland area. They await uh, and witness the return of the turkey vultures, also known as buzzards, marking the very first return of the buzzards' celebration. As predicted back in 1957 on March 15th, the buzzards showed up that Friday at 2 p.m. I don't know, maybe they had an alarm. The buzzards have returned to Hinkley each March 15th, actually since 1819. Hmm. It is said that they were attracted by thawing carcasses of livestock predators killed months earlier
1: by farmers in the Great Hinkley Hunt of 1818. Wow. Well, over the years, this program has attracted hundreds of thousands of people to Hinkley. The day begins at 630 a.m. with the traditional sausage and pancake breakfast at Hinkley Elementary School. The event has grown to include live music, trail hikes, bus tours, a Birds of Prey interpretive program, and vendors selling buzzard hats, shirts, and other items. Park Rangers with Metro Parks act as a spotter to conduct the official tally of returning buzzards. The official buzzard scoreboard keeps track of the incoming birds. Now, when he was alive, wasn't Dick Goddard involved with this, or at least would talk about it quite a bit? I know he would what talk I about it.
2: I don't know how involved he was, but I will tell you that when I worked at WTAM, this was an annual news event. We would send a guy down, and he would stand next to the official park ranger, and he would wait for the guy, and the guy would say. Like, you know, there's one, or there it is, or you know, <laughs> buzzard, two o'clock, or whatever. You sure. know, that's that's the that's the sound bite that you look for every year. And of course, there's obviously it's grown to a lot of other things, but it's a very unique special happening in the Hinkley area,
1: and it's really interesting that it happens the same day every year. That is unbelievable since 1819. I mean, that, that is that is just amazing. That is obviously something with science. Have you ever seen a buzzard live and in person in front of you? No. Oh, gosh. That's a—it It, it isn't a scary animal. I've in Rocky River. I was taking a walk down Detroit Avenue the one time and I look up and then there's this bird that flies. It's huge. It looks like a turkey. It flies up in a tree. It scares the crap. Of me. I walked to the other side of the street. I'm not dealing with this. I'm kind of a wuss. It is, as, as, as you know, this Ted. But I'm like, wow, those are those are impressive animals. And after seeing them. You understand why you have to worry about your livestock, that's for sure. They're not friendly,
2: at least not friendly looking. Well, that is a very interesting look at March fifteenth, 1957, part of this week
5: in Cleveland history. Cleveland! This is for you!
1: time for our Game Time segment with our guest, Shane Rock Foundation founder, Eric Haddad, along with the top fantasy football dad in Northeast Ohio, Ted Klopp. (laughs) Today's game is called Name That Cleveland Browns Player. I've done some research on some all-time Cleveland Browns statistics. You'll each name the player who holds the career record for that particular stat. I'll give you multiple choice options, of course. Today's winner will get the opportunity to clean Cleveland Browns Stadium following a game. Pick any game in 2021 and you and your friends can experience cleaning Brown stadium. This may take a few days. I would recommend bringing a sleeping bag. Any (laughs) questions on our game, Ted? No, I got it. Here we go. First question. Name the Cleveland Browns player with the most career points. Who has the most career points? Is it Jim Brown, Phil Dawson, Don Cockroft or Lou Groza? Most career points. Eric, as our guest, you get to guess first.
4: I'm going to go with Phil Dawson.
1: Phil Dawson. I'm going to go with the toe. Ted, the toe. Go with the toe. Both you gentlemen had very good answers, but the correct answer is actually Lou Groza. He had 1,608 points. Ted, I don't know how you're getting this correct. <laughs> this is the second time he's doing this.
4: I'm thinking
1: our guest is going to get this, and you get this somehow. You have a gleam, don't you? you I, I do. You feel the have gleam. A gleam, man. All right. One, nothing, Ted. So we go to question two. Which Cleveland Browns player has the most career solo tackles? Most career solo tackles. Is it Eric Turner, DeQuel Jackson, Mike Johnson, or Clay Matthews? Ted, you get to guess first this time. Well, most I'm career the... solo tackles. You can't have the same guess, by the way. You both can have the same guess. Of those
2: guys, i got to go with uh, my favorite of those four, Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews,
1: okay. Eric?
4: I'm going to go with Clay.
1: That's a good answer, gentlemen. It is Clay Matthews. 1,430 solo tackles for the Browns. That's unbelievable. Wow. All right. We go to question number three. Which Cleveland Browns quarterback is the career leader in passing touchdowns? Is it Otto Graham, Frank Ryan, Ryan Seip, or Bernie Kosar? Eric, you get to guess first. On um, the leader in passing touchdowns for a career, Otto Graham, Frank Ryan, Brian Seip, or Bernie Kosar?
4: I'm going to go with Bernie.
1: Bernie Ball. Ted? Mm-hmm. I'm going to hop in the Wayback Machine and go with Otto Graham. Did you look at these answers today? You've got to be kidding me. The correct answer is I do Ted, you're the
2: winner. Ted,
4: Ted, fantastic job, my friend.
1: Unbelievable.
2: Wow. <laughs> I, I I was just trying to figure who had played the longest. And, you know, Bernie was here for, what, seven or eight years? And Brian Seip played in the USFL. So I figured it was one of those other guys. My
4: gosh. Fantastic. Well,
2: Ted,
1: I mean, Eric, at least you don't have to clean the stadium. So
4: That's right. That's right. Back. If That's you want
1: to help, uh, I'll let you know when we're going to do <laughs> yeah. that.
4: Call me, call me. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> all right,
1: well, Eric. Speaking of help, once again, thank you so much. And once again, tell us about the Shane Rock Foundation. If someone is interested in giving a donation or helping out, how can they find you?
4: Yeah, so we're on all the social media outlets uh, at shanerock.org. And again, you know, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, we're out there. Uh, obviously, the events this year have been a little slower, as mentioned, um, you know, just because of you know people not being. Or being as likely to be, get together, but you can find out more about our foundation at chainrock.org. Uh, again, we're helping families um, battle pediatric cancer without out-of-pocket costs, medical costs, um, expenses, and, and things of that sort. So, uh, you know, if there's any anybody that would like this to actually formally apply. We have the application on this, on our website as well. So just take a peek at that and please like and share where you see fit and um, you know spread the word that we're doing some good work here for kids with uh, pediatric cancer.
1: Eric, thanks for all you do. And obviously a very giving family and all the best to you on the foundation as well as your family. And uh, thank you so much for the time today.
4: Oh, God bless you both. Thanks, Ken. Ted, thanks so much. You have a great day and hope to connect again soon. I'll beat you, Ted, at some point here. <laughs>
0: Most trusted name in journalism, Clops Clips.
2: Then here we go with another collection of odd news that we affectionately call Clops Clips. The Ohio Department of Transportation had to close a portion of I-77 in Canton last week because a house was left in the middle of the freeway. I'm going to say that one more time. A house was left in the middle of the freeway. The guy transporting the mobile home realized he couldn't maneuver through a construction zone on the freeway, so he, he left it there, right in between the north and southbound lanes. The house
1: sat there for two days until crews were able to remove it. This is not our home, by the way. Neither of us. This is not our house. Just to make sure people know this you got to have your measurements before you start driving around. Let's what, be honest. What do you need? Your measurements. Thank you. A
2: Florida man is on the run and facing grand theft charges involving stolen jewelry. Joseph Davis was apparently dating one woman, had been since 2015. That woman became suspicious of Davis and did some Facebook investigating. That's where she discovered that Davis was engaged to another woman, and the other woman had an engagement ring and wedding band identical to one from her previous marriage. first woman checked her jewelry box and discovered the items were missing. Police are now searching for Mr. Davis.
1: Joseph Davis better start running. You don't want to mess with a very scorned woman when she finds that out. That is not a good situation. He needs to get running. Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer pitched three innings in spring training action
2: Saturday. First inning was one that caught fans' eyes, or eye. Bauer pitched the first inning with his right eye closed the whole time. Some thought he had an injury, but... No, he doesn't. He gave up a hit and a walk in that first inning, but no runs. Bauer says keeping one eye closed is a training method he uses to make himself uncomfortable.
1: Well, one thing we all know about Trevor Bauer is he, when he played for Cleveland, he is an or- unorthodox. There's no doubt about that. That would definitely describe him. It's a good way to put it. A mom in Queens, New York working from home
2: and overheard her son's Zoom economics class. She stepped in and shouted down the teacher because the class apparently consisted of of rap videos featuring drug deals, prostitutes, and vulgar and racist language. I'm not sure what economics has to do with these songs or any songs. The two songs played on the uh, day in question were which stands for Cash Rules Everything Around Me by Wu-Tang Clan, and Money, Power, Respect by the Locks. The school principal has not commented. A New York Education Department spokeswoman claims the teacher provided appropriate context and called the songs, quote, iconic. Iconic. There you go.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's all good
2: if you just say it's iconic. It's iconic, so we can listen to rap music while we study. It's
1: coincidental. Sure. Those
2: are your two favorite songs, by the way, Ted. They are. I love them. Yeah. That's, I jam to those when I'm not listening to the podcast. Staying in school, a high school student in Baltimore almost graduated close to the top half of his class, but is now being sent back to the ninth grade. The student had a GPA of 0.13. 0.13. He failed 22 out of 25 classes and was late or absent for 272 days of his first three years of high school.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: Despite this... He was ranked 62nd out of 120 students at Augusta (laughs) Fells Savage Institute of Arts. How does that work? (laughs) His mother says only one teacher asked for a conference over the time he spent at the school. It never happened, though. The mother of three works three jobs and didn't know her son was failing until last month. Though he failed classes, the school continued to promote him. After failing Spanish 1 and Algebra 1, the school then allowed him to take Spanish 2 and Algebra 2. The school has not commented the student is now at a different school.
1: (laughs) That sounds like that's the actual answer we were looking for. I mean, obviously, school's not for everyone. (laughs) <laughs> but on the same token, with that, I, I guess I question what exactly is happening at this school. If they're just kind of letting people go through after huh? they've missed, uh, I don't know, two hundred seventy-two days of school in the first three years. That's insane. Failing all but three classes. My God. Twenty-two out of twenty-five.
2: All I can think of when I read that GPA is the scene from Animal House. Mister Berlutarsky, zero. Point zero. Blutarski didn't pass, but apparently this guy almost did. He almost got it done. That is this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Ted Klopp here for Westminster AV. You've heard me talk about their top-notch rental services, but don't take my word for it. Here are some Google reviews. The Ohio Society of Association Executives says not only do they meet every need we have, they anticipate additional services and requests that we have had and are always prepared. The Westside Catholic Center says the elements they added to our event enhanced every aspect of the evening. Very easy to work with, incredibly knowledgeable, and made adjustments on the fly. Whether you are planning a virtual or an in-person event, Westminster AV should be your first call for dependable, professional audiovisual equipment rentals. Call today 216-325-6960. Again the number 216-325-6960. Miss Speaker of the Week now, the 22-minute sermon from a Missouri pastor has gone viral for some of the sexist comments that he made. This is a pastor. We have some excerpts. Take a
5: listen. Your man needs a, needs an attractive wife. Don't give him a reason to be looking around. Hello? I really don't think women understand how important it is for a man to have a beautiful woman on his arm. Why is it so many times that women, after they get married, let themselves go? Why is it? Why do they do that? Here's how way too many women are. I got him now. The chase is over. Hey, that's where you're wrong. The chase ain't never over. Now look, I'm not saying every woman can be the epic, the epic trophy wife of all time. Like Melania Trump. I'm not saying that at all. Now, most women can't be trophy wives, but you you know, like her, maybe you're maybe a participation trophy. I don't know. But all I can say is. Not everybody looks like that, amen. Not everybody looks like that, but but you don't need to look like a butch either. A hey, sweatpants don't cut it all the time, huh? Wearing flip flops and and uh, pajamas to Walmart—that uh, uh, ain't gonna work. Ain't nothing attractive about that. It ain't. And, and when men want their wives to look good at home and in public. Can I get an amen? Oh boy. Islands that is just whoa. Well, uh,
1: S- Stuart Allen Clark has taken a leave of absence. Are you surprised on no, that, by the way? Really? Okay, <laughs> from the Malden First General Baptist Church. I uh, have a good shot that he's not going to be coming back. A statement from the church says that he is seeking professional counseling. Yeah, does, <laughs> does that surprise you either? <laughs> no, holy uh, man! I, I, I. <laughs> How does that
2: go for 22 minutes? How did nobody in that church stand up and say, what are you talking about? What is what is going on here? Yeah, that's... I'm trying to figure out how the attractiveness, the effort that a wife puts into their appearance, what that has to do with church.
1: You know the answer,
2: I know that that is the misspeak of the week. Wrapping up episode number 45. 45 of two middle-aged men in Cleveland, Ken, and, well, we covered a lot this week. Have you ever had a pastor give a sermon like the one we had in our misspeak of the week?
1: No, (laughs) I'll be honest with you. I haven't. I mean, that's... There's no words for that. Have My you gosh. ever?
2: What would what would the look on your fiance's face be if she
1: heard that heard that sermon? Oh, I wouldn't have to worry about a look. I would just see the back of her head because we be walking out. So yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind where, where of that right. that's about right. That's about right. Well, we got a lot going on. Good to talk to Eric Haddad. And next week on our show, Mister Entertainment. Gene DiNapoli. Oh, here we go. He is an Elvis tribute artist. We're going to talk to him about performing Elvis songs. And he's not an Elvis impersonator. He made that quite clear, but certainly knows a lot about Elvis, does tribute shows for Elvis. And one of the things that I want to get cleared up right away will be, is Elvis
1: still alive? Great question. I'd like to know that answer. Gene yeah. would know. He's close enough to the whole situation. So. I wonder if he used to be Gene Gene the
2: Dancing Machine on the gong show. I don't know.
1: That's a possibility. Or in the mafia, because he certainly seemed like a guy you didn't want to mess with. I could feel the Godfather theme playing in the background the entire time. Yep. He's so. got the Italian name, the slick back hair. I'm not messing with them. I'll tell you that.
2: I'm going to make him enough he can't refuse.
1: Well, Ted, do you have an offer
2: that we can't refuse?
1: I certainly do. I just want to let everyone know we're just
0: two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.